Welcome to the House of Lords podcast. In this special episode for Black History Month, we're exploring the life of Lord Pitt of Hampstead in partnership with the Parliamentary Archives. was the second black peer in the House of Lords and was the only black representative in either house in Parliament at the time of the Scarman Review in 1981. This piece was originally written by Richard Ward and is narrated by Nimi March. Here's Nimi with the full story. The Noble David Pitt, from Grenada to Camden. For many years, Dr David Pitt was one of the most recognisable civil rights campaigners in Britain. A trusted figure who commanded a universal love and respect from the many people he helped along the way. A journey that would lead him to Parliament when he became the second black peer of the realm and was given the title of Lord Pitt of Hampstead. Over recent decades, his name has been somewhat forgotten. Today, we are highlighting the tremendous achievements of a great activist, an unabashed moderate politician who significantly contributed to the passing of race relations legislation, a man of principle rather than arguments, choosing sensibility over street protest. This doctor from Grenada was a true pioneer. A Scottish Education David Thomas Pitt was born in Hampstead, on the island of Grenada, on the 3rd of October 1913. From a young age, he was a most gifted scholar, whose talents saw him awarded a place to study medicine in Edinburgh. After the initial culture shock of his new surroundings, Pitt began to embrace the university's extracurricular activities and became student council junior president. This period was forever known as the Hungry Thirties, and the abject poverty of slums like the notorious Cowgate didn't go unnoticed by the sensitive pit. His biographer, Mike Phillips, later wrote that his first-hand experience of economic depression in Scotland converted him to socialism. Shortly before returning to the Caribbean, he joined the Labour Party, not knowing that their stars would be aligned in the future. Independence thinking. The next port of call for the newly qualified doctor was Trinidad, to work at the city hospital in San Fernando. It was here that Pitt caught the bug for politics, fuelled by a desire to help decolonise the West Indies from imperial rule. He soon became a spokesperson for the cause of Trinidadian nationalism and in 1943 founded the West Indian National Party. But four years later, a disappointing electoral performance led to a change of heart. Pitt decided to return to England and began petitioning Clement Attlee's Labour government for greater constitutional powers for his adopted country. 
This migration to London coincided with the first wave of the Windrush generation, and like many of his compatriots, he hadn't envisaged a prolonged stay in the capital. Pitt started to put down roots by opening a surgery in Euston as his growing family joined him for a new life. London is the place for me. Established by the early 1950s, Dr Pitt's surgery was a haven for the growing number of West Indian communities now settled in North London. As the only Caribbean practitioner in the borough, he assumed the role of an informal community leader, available to provide guidance with employment or accommodation issues. Away from his practice, he closely followed international affairs and actively supported the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament and anti-apartheid action groups. At the 1958 Labour Party conference, Pitt cut a distinctive figure amongst the predominantly white male delegates. Joan Lester, a future Labour MP, observed that he was an impressive and mature man already deeply immersed in the struggles around race and human rights, both in Britain and abroad. As the new decade began, Pitt's rising public profile made him a target and he was front-page news after his office was subjected to an arson attack by far-right supporters. When Martin Luther King visited London on his way to collecting his Nobel Peace Prize, he addressed a select audience of senior UK civil rights activists, including Pitt. Drawing inspiration from his own racial equality initiatives, King strongly urged the assembled group to form their own homogenous organisation. A new order. The Campaign Against Racial Discrimination, known as CARD, was formed in 1965. Founding member Marion Glean exclaimed that the weeks after King's visit, Ordinary immigrants, some hardly literate, wrote to help. I recall their excitement and hope. As the most experienced campaigner in the ranks, Pitt was voted chairman. Discord between various factions took hold. However, as a pressure group, they did achieve some success. A lobbying campaign orchestrated by General Secretary Jocelyn Barrow was a major influence on the Equal Opportunities ethos of the 1968 Race Relations Act. Barrow said that CARD was a very effective organisation, though it wasn't as grassroots as I would have liked it to have been. It was led by people like me and Pitt. The people at the bottom were too busy trying to survive, though some did join. At the same time, the UK Black Power movement came to prominence after their American leader, Stokely Carmichael, was refused entry into the country by the Home Office. A generational gap developed as a more politicised strand of black consciousness came to the forefront, as highlighted in the Mangrove Nine case heard in the Old Bailey at the decade's end. The trial saw defendant Darkus Howe gain cult status while Pitt was being primed for the mainstream. Clapham 1970 In 1957, David Pitt first stood at a parliamentary election in the nearby constituency of Hampstead. 
Thirteen years later, he was confident he could rectify the previous defeat in the relatively safe Labour seat of Clapham. But the fabled British sense of fair play was ominously absent as the campaign reached its climax. Racism reared its ugly head and Pitt was narrowly beaten by his Conservative opponent by 2,000 votes. In the early hours of the following morning, Pitt had the good grace to appear on BBC One's election coverage, where he was interviewed in the studio by Robin Day. When he was asked about the loss, Dr Pitt said that he didn't attribute it to prejudice, saying he thought his late entry as the Labour candidate compared to his Conservative opponent was the most likely explanation for the loss. Despite the obvious disappointment, Pitt was kept busy as Deputy Chairman of the Race Relations Commission. Over a seven-year span, he sat on several home affairs committees, deliberating education, law and order and immigration. He also called for the BBC to schedule more broadcasting time for people of colour to show diversity. Two years later, he made a recommendation for recruiting local liaison officers to improve police relations within disputed areas. On the subject of being an immigrant, he memorably said, I am merely going to flog my favourite hobby horse point that it was not in 1968 that UK passport holders first started being controlled. Because anyone who lives in a colony, who was born in a colony, or grew up in a colony, is a citizen of the United Kingdom. I happen to be a colonial. His Lordship David Pitt once said that some people regard me as an Uncle Tom, while some whites regard me as a black power revolutionary, so I imagine I got it about right. This observation rang true when he accepted a life peerage and entered the House of Lords in 1975. To a minority in the black community, it confirmed their suspicion of his ambition to be part of the establishment. While he found himself very much alone as the only black parliamentarian in Westminster, Pitt made his presence felt with a famous chamber speech on immigration in June 1976. During a debate on immigration policy, Lord Pitt said... When people are told that immigration is being reduced, they expect to see fewer black people around, and they also expect less deprivation. But the opposite is bound to be the case. The people who are here will have children, and therefore their numbers will increase. Therefore, far from seeing fewer people around, they are going to see more. Then since immigration and the immigrants have nothing whatever to do with their deprivation, the deprivation will continue. In the spirit of serendipity, the new Race Relations Bill was now going through Parliament. Pitt greatly assisted in steering the draft law through the Upper House. Even though his natural style was persuasive rather than argumentative, if required, he was willing to trade punches as demonstrated in a debate at committee stage where members go through the bill line by line and propose changes. He said, I continue to be unhappy about this whole affair. It is clear that the minister and I see race relations quite differently. One of the basic points about prejudice is that it is based upon ignorance. 
The more people get to know each other, the more they mix and the more they do things together, the less likely they are to be prejudiced. More prejudice is broken down by people working together for a common objective than in any other way. Therefore, I do not agree that the fact that people have to work together, discuss matters together and come to certain agreements about the way they work is a reason for agreeing that they should be able to discriminate against each other. I do not agree and I therefore cannot share the government's approach to this particular point. The Scarman Report was published in the winter of 1981 as a government response to the Brixton uprisings, which took place earlier that year. When it was discussed in the Lords, Pitt used the platform to give an example of overzealous and prejudiced policing in London that referenced his old sparring partner, Darkus Howe, who was now editor of Race Today. Speaking in the House of Lords chamber, Lord Pitt said, the facts of the case are that Darkus went down to Oxford Street to buy a pair of shoes for a funeral he was attending the next day, which anyone knowing his normal sneakers and boots footgear will not find surprising. He went with Michael Cadet, one of the Race Today collective, to visit two shops where they expected to find a bargain. In one of the shops they met a friend of Cadet's, one of the assistants, and chatted briefly before Darkus went next door to the other shoe shop to check the basement. All normal so far. But on emerging to the pavement, Darkus was stopped by two policemen. Police Cadet Willis and PC 411 from West End Central Station, who insisted on searching him as a suspicious person. He asked the reason and was told he had been seen dipping into ladies' handbags. He refused and was arrested. Pitt also used his public speaking skills to focus on other contemporary matters. Still a committed socialist, he was left disillusioned by the homeless problem of the 80s. As chairman of the charity Shelter from 1979 to 1990, he spoke frequently in the chamber about the unjust housing shortage. He kept his surgery open throughout these years and in 1985 he was appointed chairman of the British Medical Association, which he considered a career pinnacle. Public health was always a core concern and he relished the opportunity to scrutinise any changes in NHS policy that would be detrimental to the average working class household giving his own personal perspective while speaking in the chamber of the House of Lords, he said, The general practitioner is the only person who sees the individual from birth to death, and often before birth. I often see men and women in the Caribbean and also in this country whom I knew before they were born because I provided antenatal treatment for their mothers. The mantle of elder statesmen sat comfortably on Pitt's shoulders, and to mark his 70th birthday, the Lord Pitt Foundation was set up to advance the prospects of persons of West Indian origin or descent. As ill health imposed itself, he still frequently spoke in Parliament, and friend Joan Lester noted that his love of an intellectual argument remained till the very end. In his final days, he was visited by many of his brethren, men and women who had been on the same road as him, far away from home, but always with a little hope in their hearts. 
Lord Pitt of Hampstead passed away on the 18th of December 1994 and was buried in his homeland of Grenada. For a full list of links and sources to this story, visit archives.blog.parliament.uk.